Had I really sat back and read all the blogs and all the advice, I probably wouldn't have done what I've done. Welcome back to The Author Biz. I'm Stephen Campbell, and this is the show where we deliver the information you need to build a thriving and sustainable business as an author. If you're an indie author, how many books do you have to publish each year to be successful? Obviously, that's sort of a stupid question. Success is different for everyone, and there is no hard and fast rule for achieving success as an author, especially an indie author. But if that's the case, why do so many people believe the only way to succeed as an indie is to publish a book a month? For some, it's simply impossible to publish that quickly. For others, people like Michael Anderley, it's impossible to publish that slowly. One of the reasons I've focused two of the first three episodes in this new season of the podcast on people who are not publishing a book or more a month is to highlight what we all intuitively know to be true. There are a variety of paths to success in the world of indie publishing. The secret is to find yours, not to follow one hacked out by someone else. This week's guest is author Bobby Holmes, who joined us a couple of years ago on episode 82 when we discussed pre-orders. At that time, she had a fairly rigid publication schedule, and when I looked again at her Amazon author page, I see that she's kept up with the book every 90 days plan, and she's done that for the past two years. It turns out her schedule hasn't really changed since August of 2014 when she published the first book in her Haunting Danielle series. And as you'll hear during the interview, publishing four books a year is working out very well for her. We cover a lot of ground during this interview, going into some detail on Bobby's publication schedule. We revisit the rationale for her pre-order process. We kick around some of the ideas that she uses for marketing, and spoiler alert, it does involve pre-orders. And we discuss some of the reasons why she has an agent as an indie author. Hey, before we get started, is anyone out there going to be at Book Expo or the Audio Publishers Association Conference in New York at the end of the month? I'm looking forward to being there and would love to connect for coffee and conversation if you're going to be there as well. If so, shoot me an email, authorbiz at gmail.com. I would love to meet and chat with you. All right, let's get this show started. I opened our interview by asking Bobby about the current publication schedule for her Haunting Danielle series. I try to put out a book every 90 days. And the reason with the 90 days is I do the pre-orders and you can't really go more than 90 days. So that it just keeps me on track every 90 days. And just I, I'd like to add in a caveat there. And the last time we spoke, we did a, we talked about the pre-orders and the more I've talked to other people, pre-orders work for me, but they're not for everybody, and they may not may not be good for people that are new uh, that are un unlimited, which I'm not an unlimited. So there, there's a whole different marketing for when you're in select and you're out of select. So for me, it works, but it doesn't work necessarily for everybody for a variety of reasons. But that's a topic for another day. So, but I do. That's one reason I go there every 90 days. And are the rules different with the different electronic platforms when it comes to pre-orders? Like, can you go 90 days on one and 120 days on another? And are you just picking the shortest or the longest time period that satisfies all of them? Well, I started doing the pre-orders with Amazon, pretty much just Amazon. Um, mm -hmm. And I didn't really bother with the other ones because Amazon's the biggest seller of all of them. But this last month, I, I'm doing pre-orders at all of the different venues. And I haven't really 
honestly, I haven't really watched to see how you know good they are doing. Amazon's doing great, but I'm not sure how they're doing. But I just started doing all of them now. Um, okay. It's relatively easy, but I'm doing all of them now where I didn't do before. And I remember the last time we talked, you have sort of trained your readers to expect the pre-order at the end of the book. Well, yeah, I, what I normally do is I put my pre-order out like a day before I'm going to put my the final document for the current pre-order. That way I have a, a product page link that I can insert in the book. So when all those pre-orders mm -hmm. go live, they automatically have it. But like I said, there, there's different discussions on if that's really the best. I might be cheating myself because... I'm not getting the same kind of Amazon ranking I would get if I left it all to just regular, if all my readers just bought on that, that week and didn't pre-order. It just, the way it skews the numbers. So for me, it works, but it's not necessarily the best for everybody. Okay. And you and I talked, I don't remember what it was, um, a year and a half ago, maybe. And Carol Newsom was on the call with us when we were talking about pre-orders. And then we had a chance, you and I had a chance to meet in person at the 20 Books Conference in Las Vegas. Correct. Which was, which was cool. It was really fun to be it there and, and to be able to meet so many people. Um, one of the things that comes out of the 20 books school of thought is this idea of rapid release, rapid publication, um, just publishing one book after another after another. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is that you have been successful with this schedule of just publishing a book a quarter. And I looked all the way back to the first and second book of this series, and they were 92 days apart, I think. So is, has it always been this way for you? Yeah, it's it, pretty much. There was, um, the, I think around the third book, it was, I, I'm not sure if I, I didn't have a pre-order on the third book. I, I had a um, breast cancer and I was dealing with that at the time. And so I didn't do a pre-order, I think, with the third book because I didn't know what, you know, I was dealing with my medical issues. Mm -hmm. And so I just skipped the pre-order for that particular one. But then I jumped back on the pre-order of the next book. But I think it's pretty much always been every 90 days, although I did have one where I wanted an extra month. So I stretched it like 120 days. So the link wasn't in it. But what was in it was a link to my newsletter. And so while I didn't have quite as many pre-orders as I had before, I really boosted my newsletter. So that was good. Okay. But I went back I went back to the pre-orders. But no, it's pretty much every 90 days is what I do because I can comfortably write a book every 90 days and then, you know, get one out. And and, and for me, it's putting things into priorities. Um, you know, I'm in my 60s and I would like to be able to enjoy life and writing, you know, for younger people, if that's what they want to do, just keep on hammering them out. But I think, you know, every 90 days is comfortable for me. I make what I need to make and I still have time to live my life doing other things. Are you comfortable talking about revenue numbers? Yeah, yeah, I will. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, four books a year. You are book 17 in the Haunting Danielle series publishes on June 5th, I think. So you published four books last year, I'm guessing. Uh, what were your, your gross royalties last year? Oh, last year it was around, I'm trying to think here, over 150000 I think, okay. last year. And how much of that do you think came from Amazon? 
Well, let me give you an idea. Um, I'm, I, I pulled up some numbers here because you said that you wanted to. March was a good month for me because I, I, I've noticed it's increasing a lot. March, I did like 26,000, over 26,000. Mm-hmm. 23,000, 23,156, that was all Amazon. Um, Barnes & Noble was around 1,600 for March. Kobo was 920, and iTunes was 873. That was for March. Now I'm also in Google Play, but I don't really have those numbers yet. I see them slowly building, but I do have my books in Google Play now where I didn't have before. And is that essentially all ebook revenue? Yeah, those are just ebook revenue. It doesn't include paperbacks or audiobooks. Okay. Uh, what is, is paperback a significant portion of your revenue mix? And when I say significant, is it is it more than 5%? Oh, no. I mean, I, I probably, on a good month, maybe do $250 okay. you know, revenue from All paperback. Right. So I look at it like it's a car payment. Yes. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I mean, that's, other yeah. than, you know, once you get the books formatted, it's three months. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it just goes there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I did notice in looking at your website, and I've never seen an indie author do this before, maybe because I'm not paying attention, that you have large print print copies available. I, I do that for my Haunting Danielle series. Well, I found that I do have a lot of readers that are um, older readers, and it's hard for them. They want to read paper books. Mm-hmm. And the smaller print is just too hard for them to read. My mom is one of my beta readers, and she's 90 years old. Mm-hmm. And she just loves the large print. It's just a very comfortable read for her, and books make them, you know, they just feel more comfortable in a paper book. So I do have a number of personal friends that are older, quite older, like in the 90s and 80s, and they love the large print. In fact, one of my best friends, her mom, always waits for my book, and so she's kind of pestered me to keep on top of that, because at first I was a little lacking, and the large print might take a couple months to go out, but now it it comes out pretty much the same time as the regular print, because I've got fans that are waiting for it, and I can't do that to them and make them wait. (laughs) And I want to dig back into the revenue numbers in a little bit, but you mentioned your mother, and so this is like a a real family business for you, because your daughter does your covers, Elizabeth. Right. Elizabeth does your covers, and your mother's a beta reader. So, I mean, you have an in for doing multiple print (laughs) covers, don't you? (laughs) Yeah. Well, my mom is sort of like my first line. And people always say mothers can't be good beta readers because they're not, you know, objective. My mom was a great beta reader. She was always a voracious reader. And I remember once in one of my romance novels, she came marching in. She had read it, and and I was – she was beta reading it, and she came marching in. She said, I hate your main character, the, the, the love interest, the guy in the story. She goes, he's horrible. And she told me what she didn't like. Well, I toned him down. Well, I didn't tone him down enough because I had a lot of readers that felt the same way she did, and I didn't tone it down quite enough. So she was pretty spot on um, about that, and she will tell me if she doesn't like something. So, yeah, she's my, not my only one. I have quite a few beta readers, but she's the first one that sees the book. You had you started this series in 2014, and at that time you were writing uh, the Colson Family Saga, which is another series in a completely different genre. Correct, totally so, different genre, and under a different name, I think. Right? Yeah. When I started that series, I have two series actually under Anna J. McIntyre. One is the Colson series; it's a family saga, takes place over a century. Um, various topics I discuss in that are like homosexuality. It's um, murder, rape, feminism. I mean, very, some dark subjects that are in there of how, how society deals with things. And so uh, I really enjoyed writing that series. And it talks about the women in the 
how we've evolved over the last century. And so that was a fun series for me to write, but it's sometimes a little too gritty for some people. Nothing like my Honey Danielle uh, readers, a lot of them would not appreciate it at all. Mm -hmm. And then under that same um, author name, I also write the Unlocked Heart series. And that's just generally a romance series, a light, fluffy romance, nothing really deep, just a happily ever after and it kind of falls between, you know, there's sweet romances and then there's spicy romances. Mine sort of falls between sweet and spicy. It's not, it's not G-rated, but it's not X-rated. Are you still writing the romance series? No, I, I've been spending all my time on the um, Honey Daniel series for the last few years. Okay. And when you started that, because you, you essentially launched a, a new series under a new author name, which is your actual name, um, Correct. Wh- what was it like sort of? almost starting over? Well, you know, I was actually had some good traction, nothing like the numbers I'm getting with this series, but I, I had written, um, I was doing okay because I was, had got some of the book by bads. I would get some good months where you'd, you know, really kind of get the sales going and then they drop off like book by bads do. But I had some decent revenue going on there, but I had this thought for a series and I really wanted to do it. Um, I discussed it with one of the writer groups I'm in, and a lot of them said, especially like I remember Russell Blake telling me, you know, when you're doing a good, you know, why change genres? You're going to kill yourself, blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah. And Russell gives great advice, but I didn't take his advice that time. And I just really wanted to try this series. And I knew I couldn't write it under Anna J. McIntyre because it was a totally different genre. You know, it wasn't, I wasn't going to have, it was going to be very G rated. I, I look at them as books that, you can give your teenager or your grandparent, and you're not going to be embarrassed for either one. How, how you would you describe the Haunting Danielle series for people who aren't familiar with it? It's a paranormal, cozy mystery series. It takes place along the coast of Oregon, and it's about Danielle, and she inherits this Victorian house right on the ocean, and it comes with its own ghost. And But it's also like a cozy mystery where mysteries happen every time. You know, people get murdered or mm-hmm. other other mysteries go on. They're not always murder, mostly, but not always. And she, spirits are involved and there's more than one ghost. And So how did the, how did the revenue build for the series? So brand new author name, new genre, flying in the, uh, flying against the advice of, of Russell Blake, who probably is, is probably still writing jet books. Uh, and I know he's, he's been trying to get away from those for years. Well, which is funny because, because Russell has branched out and he's, he writes in a couple different genres too. He, he has a couple of pen names out there. So he sort of doesn't always follow his own rules, which I always <laughs> like to, you know, <laughs> but you know, he's one of those the writers out there that I, I do listen to what he has to say. Don't always pay attention to it, but I do listen. Yeah, the, the series kind of built, I think it took a couple books, but it, it seemed like right away people seemed to like it. Um, it I think it stuck a, a chord for some readers that were looking for. I think it's a little escapism. It's mm-hmm. not, because of my age, I think I, I deal a lot with death in these books because obviously they're murder mysteries. But when my people die, it's not the end of the world because they come back as ghosts for a while if they don't, before they move on to wherever they're moving on to. So for some people, I think it provides a little bit of hope in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and it, it's not so dark and there's a lot of dark going on in the world right now. And sometimes I think we just need to escape to a happier place and not worry about, 
you know, some of the like the some of the subject matters, like for instance, that I, you know, deal with in Col- in the Colson family saga. It's it's nothing like that. This is more totally escape for more of a feel good type of a situation. That's like how I think of it. Uh, even though, you know, I do get people whacked. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't have a murder mystery without yeah, a dead body. You know, I know. <laughs> now, when you started the series. Did you talk to other cozy, cozy authors and, and to just kind of say, how, how do you think this is going to go, the idea of a paranormal cozy? No, not at all. Honestly, had I sat back when I before I started publishing, had I really sat back and read all the blogs and all the advice, I probably wouldn't have done what I've done. I think a majority of the advice is, you know, it's the odds of making it are slim to none. You're probably not going to do it. That's pretty much what's out there. And I didn't, I didn't really open myself up to that. I just Mm -hmm. did what I wanted to do. So that's what I did. Do you remember, and this is going back four years and I know you don't have these numbers in front of you. Do you remember how long it took to get to the first like 10 K month? Oh gosh. You know, honestly, I wish I, time is kind of really fly. I mean, I had, no, I had a really a good year. 2016 was a great year because my accountant about fell over. So I had a, (laughs) so I, I, 2016 was good. 2017 was good. Looks like 2018 is going to be good. Um, I had pretty decent months, um, up to 10,000, well, way over five at least. Mm-hmm. But I, off, I, I can't really remember. I just know that the last you know, three years have been really good. Okay. And how does – is your revenue fairly even throughout the year or do you get the massive spike when the new book comes out? I get the spike when the book comes out. Like some months I'll have, you know, a really high, um, you know, like 20 something thousand dollars. And another month, maybe I'll have closer to like 8,000 or ton, you know, but now it's, it's a little over than that. So it kind of spikes, goes back and forth, but overall, yeah, that it, it averages out. So, and in the back of your mind, do you ever think, wow, if I just wrote a book every six weeks, I'd make even more. No, because when I was talking about that priority thing, mm-hmm. you, I do believe that when people get to a certain point in their life, you have to sit back and say, okay, how much do you really need for one thing? I mean, we went through, my husband and I, we went through some really rough times um, over the last few years. We had a restaurant that we had lost. And so we really struggled for a few years. And then we were both in real estate. I've always written all my life, but I wasn't doing it as a living anymore. But we were in real estate and market was good and then the market plummeted and then, mm-hmm. you know, it was hard. That's how I got back into writing again. But so for us, we really appreciate that we're, we're very solvent at the moment. And But at the same time, I don't feel the need to think more, 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 more. You see what I'm saying? I mean, because when mm-hmm. you say more, 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 you're also putting more, more, more hours out there and then you're not really living your life. And life is very short. I mean, I, I say that as somebody who's had cancer three times and so far I beat every time and I, you know, I'm enjoying life. And so that's why I like my schedule right now. I feel very blessed. You know, I feel total, very, very blessed that my readers are, are like the series and that I'm having fun with it. So I'm, I'm very, very fortunate. It's one of the things that I've seen over the course of the last couple of years are uh, the number of authors who are trying to do the book a month thing or the book every three week thing or whatever the thing is du jour and and burning out. If if you're able to do it for a little while, you just 
most people can't keep doing it. There are a few people out there that can keep doing it, but most people can't. And then there's this sense of frustration and, oh, it didn't work and et cetera, et cetera. Um, if you were advising someone who came to you today saying, I, I, I've got this idea for a series, I want to start writing, how should I do this? What would your advice be? Not about the writing, but just, just purely publishing schedule. One of the things I strongly believe is there's no one writing method that everybody has to use. I think the trick is finding out what works for you. I mean, because I, you know, you read these mm -hmm. different one, people that say, this is how you have to do it. No, this is how you have to do it. And I think that really the key is, is to find out what works for you. What I have found what really works for me, um, and it, it took me 17 or 16 books to really figure it out. I no longer, I used to be along because I was like everybody else. You want to get those word count out. Everybody brags about how many words you wrote today. You know, write 6,000 words a day or 10,000 words or something like that. Where back when I used, I used to write for a content provider for a few years before I started publishing um, the fiction. And that's all we ever did was write, write, write. And the more we wrote, the more we made. And you'd only make money for each week. And then you'd have to start over again. So it was like being on this never-ending treadmill that was sort of exhausting. Mm -hmm. Well, so but I was used to writing more words, I think, than probably a lot of people because of that. It, it sort of trained me. And so for a long time when I was doing this series, I would, you know, try to write like 4,000 words or 6,000 or something a day not really getting any more books out because I had other things in life that I was doing. So what I have found that works for me, my books are 40 chapters long and each chapter is approximately 2000 words each. And I know some people say, Oh, a chapter should be whatever, you know, whatever it is, but this is my method and it works for me. So what I have found that's really is, has, improved my life is I write one chapter a day for 40 days straight. And I even work on, on the weekends, <clears throat> one chapter a day. So what I do is each day when I get up, I first rewrite the chapter I wrote the previous day. So I do extensive rewriting on whatever I wrote the day before. So when I finish that, I'm kind of in the groove and I go on to the next chapter. But before I start the next chapter, I outline it out. Basically, my outline is comprised of four chunks. The chunks are what I want to happen in 500 words in each chunk. And by doing that, it makes the writing of the chapter very, very easy to do. So I can very well be done by my writing every day by around one or about, well, sometimes by noon. If I didn't have other things to do, my mom, who's 90, lives with us. I have to mm -hmm. give her breakfast and stuff in the morning. But after I give her breakfast and do some other chores and I get to my writing, I, I can usually be done by around one o'clock in the afternoon with the chapter for that day and rewriting the previous chapter. So that gives me half a day to go out in the boat with my husband. So that's kind of my schedule. And mm -hmm. then when I'm done with those 40, 40 days, then I go back and do my rewrites, which don't really take maybe a week. And then the book goes off to the beta readers and the editor. You've been doing this for a while now. Have you built a team to help you through the publication process? Well, as you know, my daughter does the covers. Mm -hmm. So, and Elizabeth Mackey, by the way, and we'll have a link to her website. She's fabulous. She's been on the show. She's in the AuthorBiz Author Facebook group, and we all love her. Yeah, she's a, she is very talented. I'm very proud of her. But, and with my High and Danielle series, all the books have the same house on it. 
The only difference is we have different silhouettes in the windows and different colors. But with this, we need the silhouettes because having just different colors doesn't really work on a cover because some people are colorblind and they won't notice the difference. <laughs> so, like for instance, the house and the things in the and the Halloween one has a jack o' lantern sitting on the front porch, or the Christmas one has Christmas lights on the house. So she she can very quickly do each cover for me. So when I'm getting ready to to put my new pre-order out, you know, I let her know what the new title is and the cover, and she's. Does, does it pretty quick and gets that. So she's my cover person, and then mm-hmm. she does the covers for my paperbacks. After I've uploaded my final files to all the venues, I then get the paperbacks done and so that they're out about the same time as the ebooks now. And then I do work with a group of – I have two groups of beta readers, actually three groups. One is personal friends, which is my mom and my sister and my daughter. They see the books first. Um, and then I go to – a group A of beta readers, and they read it for plot holes and other issues and stuff. And then I send it to the editor, and then after the editor it comes back, it goes to another group of beta readers. And how large are these groups of beta readers? About a dozen in each group. Well, the well, the first group is about three or four people. There's about a dozen in, in, in the other two, about 24, probably about 30 people altogether, I'd say. For all of them. I have probably about 30 beta readers altogether. How do you manage the comments that come back? I don't know. I just go through. I, just go through. I really haven't had anything. Um, How do they send the comments back? Are you sending them like a Word doc that they can make comments? I send them an ebook is what okay. I send them. All right. Each, I send them each. I just create a quick ebook and I send them that. I don't send them a regular like a word document. I send them just an ebook, and then they can highlight. And I, I just more or less want their. My biggest thing with the because I'm so far into the series now. My biggest concern is that I'm not being true to the characters, or that I have a big plot hole that I totally overlooked. Because I, I think that when you're in a series this long, you want to be. I think it's disrespectful to your readers to play fast and loose with characters and plots where, you know, like, you know, maybe the dog was a male in one book and the two books later is a female, you know, that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. I I think it's really important to try to keep not jerk them out of the I think that jerks them out of the story when you do that, when you are fast and loose with your plot lines and your details. Okay, let's let's talk about marketing and, and what you do to market your books. What what is in your marketing mix? <sighs> Honestly, I'm not that great of a marketer. Um, not like some people. I'm really not. I, I've never done the big cover reveal. Mm-hmm. I, I think the most marketing that I do for me is having the pre-orders because what happens at this point is that pre-order stays in the top, you know, gets good ranking, and so it's always sort of out there along with my most recent one that just went out. And so I always have one that's out there visible. Um, And since all the covers have the similar, very well-branded quality, they recognize the series. So I think that's my biggest one. I do send out newsletters, but I try not to overdo it because I I don't think people appreciate getting newsletters all the time in their emails. So I try to keep it minimal as far as what email newsletters I send out. Um, I advertise, I find um, ebook reader today is a great one. And I also, of course, BookBub ads. I, I think my biggest, I had a great boost. I did a BookBub ad with um, the Haunting Dad Nail series and that it really did. I really saw a good push with that one, but you know, those, those types of things. 
But like and, everybody knows, it's hard to get a book by that sometimes. You yes. know? And you have to and you have to wait six months. Once you get it, you have to wait another six months before you can do it again. And then there's no guarantee you'll get it again. When you do the BookBub ads, are you always going back to the first book or are you occasionally doing others? Well, actually, for a long time, I never had a BookBub ad on on um, Honey Danielle. In fact, I remember I did an ENT ad, which is the ebook reader, ebook, what is it, e-reader news today? I always get that wrong. And we always call ENT ad. I did one on that, and they're a very reasonable price, mm-hmm. and I didn't do one with BookBub because it was a, um, it was like a 99 cent. I had the book down. The first book in the series, I had 99 cents. It wasn't a free book. And with BookBub, they don't really do 99 cent books. They just do free books or discounted books, and you can't discount a 99 cent book. It's already, yeah, it's already there, so they're not going to really take you, so for a long time, I never had one. And I remember I had this one ad where I used the ENT ad, and I was watching at the same time some cozies that had um, a, um, a book butt ad up. And I was really impressed because my ranking was really kicking butt. It was doing great. And I that really kind of goosed the series. I had really remarkable, remarkable results. And this was about three years ago. It really paid off. Um, but after that, you know, I couldn't really, I still always regularly would advertise in the ENT because they would take the 99 cent books and they're real reasonable price, but I couldn't really get a book bub ad because I didn't really have anything to qualify. So finally, after I had enough books out there, I decided to take book two in the series instead of book one. And I discounted from the 450 to 99 cents. And I ran a book bub ad on that, which, you know, were a lot more expensive, but it really paid off. I mean, mm. I made the money back and it really goosed it and it got more more on there. So I think six months later, I did it again. But I wanted to be in, I had was I was most I had the best luck when I had the cozy mystery series in book bub. Mm-hmm. But they kept wanting to put me in um paranormal or something series. And it was more paranormal suspense, I think. Mm-hmm. And. I don't really feel the Hind Danielle is really paranormal suspense. I think it's a little too lighthearted for that. It's my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. And so it did okay, and I made the money back. And, you know, I did okay, but nothing like when I was in the Cozy series. So sometimes, you know, what category they put you in really matters. So I did that a few times, and it did help sell, stimulate sales, because what would happen is they would buy that book for 99 cents, and then they'd go back and buy book one for 99 cents. So I'd have really, it was like getting an ad for two books. Mm-hmm. And then then people that liked it would keep reading. <clears throat> well, then last December, I decided I put together the first four books in the series and sold them for 9.99, the first, like a first four books of the High and Danielle series. And then I tried to get a book bub ad on it, lowering it to um, 99 cents for a sale. Well, they kept wanting to put me in the paranormal suspense and I kept saying, no, I don't want that. And so I would turn down their ad because I did not want to spend the money unless I got what I really wanted. So after a few tries, they finally accepted it. They put it in the cozy mystery and it, I had a great month. I mean, it really goose sales. I mean, so many people got the four books and then they kept reading the other, reading the other ones. So it, it was a really a very effective ad. Hmm. Have you have you done box sets on beyond the four books? No, no, okay. I haven't done. Mm-mm. All right, you do audio as well. And right. well, actually, before we get to audio, I noticed on your website that you have an agent. Yes. What does? Why did you? Why did you hire an agent? And what does your agent do for you? 
a while back on one of my um, books under Anna J. McIntyre, I got a contacted by a producer who I looked up and it was a legitimate producer and they were curious. They wanted to know if the rights were available to my book, um, While Snowbound. It's a lighthearted love story about this girl that's not really, she doesn't care about rock stars. She's a writer and she rescues this really stupid rock star who breaks down in the snow and they're snowbound together and it's their love story. So they were interested in perhaps, you know, purchasing the rights for that book for a TV show Mm -hmm. for one. They were having like a series of specials. Well, I knew when they contacted me that that doesn't mean anything. It's very flattering to be contacted, but I know so many authors that go beyond that and actually sell the, you know, the rights, but nothing ever happens. You know, it's, it never goes anywhere. So I was pretty realistic and I never did hear from them again. I did send them a, you know, letter back and said, yeah, that was available. You know, you can contact me if you're interested. And they never contacted me again. But it kind of got me thinking that I I would like to do things with Haunting Danielle someday. And I thought I kind of probably need an agent to do stuff like that. And the agent had contacted me actually quite a while ago. Um, and I told her no thanks at the time. And then later on, when I started thinking maybe I would get an agent, I revisited her and I looked her up and she had pretty good references from other people. And so I just went back to her and said, well, if you're still interested in representing me, I'll, you know, I'll go ahead. So that's what I did. (laughs) So is she just representing you for ancillary rights like film and is she doing audio or just? Well, she did. I, my, I have, I've sold the audio rights to the first 10 books of the series so far Mm -hmm. to Tantor Media now, Tanter approached me first, and I sold the audio rights um, to the first six books, maybe? I think it was the first six books. So I sold the rights myself. First, they bought three, and they bought three more, and I negotiated it myself. And I was okay with the terms and stuff. Um, and then when I got this agent, and it's always a little harder you know, after a while when you're going on, because if they don't feel you're doing quite enough, they may or may not come back to you. So she did negotiate the rights with Tantor. She got me a little bit more than I had gotten. Mm-hmm. Must have been the next four books in the series. So I think they bought four more. I think that for her, something like yeah, six, seven, eight, nine, something like that. Yeah. So then, if another movie person contacted you, you would just point them to right, your right, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's pretty much why. Because I, you know, you kind of know what your expertise are, and they're not. And so I figured I'd rather just go that way. That's why I, went, I didn't do try to. A lot of I know authors self-publish their own audiobooks, but I didn't have the time. I didn't have the expertise. And I, every time I tried to listen to um, different narrators, I would get really frustrated. <laughs> so, I, so I thought, you know, I, I just can't do this. So when Tantor originally contacted me, I thought, well, it's just, why not? You know, so I did. I have no regrets. Do you have a memorable publishing screw-up? Oh, yeah, one of them. Oh, a lot of them, but this one particular... It was one of my pre-orders, and I had just bought Vellum. Now, I love Vellum. Uh-huh. I really do. But I had just also just got my Apple computer, and I was switching over from uh, IBM you know, base to the Apple computer. And I wasn't quite used to how the drop and cut and paste worked with the Apple mouse. It was a little <laughs> bit – it's different feel to it. Uh-huh. So I put together my Vellum ebook, and it was so easy and everything. But when I did – 
when I was adding some of the back pages, I screwed up and I accidentally moved a chapter from one location to another. And so it was like, just randomly take chapter 25 and shove it in chapter 35, you know, that type of a thing or vice uh-huh. versa, you know? And so the book went out and it was a pre-order. So, I mean, thousands went out, a couple thousand went out, you know, the first day all with the wrong chapter. Well, and I, I discovered it the first day. That's always how it is, which I felt very fortunate. And Amazon was good about correcting it, but of all these books had gone out. And I, you know, I posted about my blog and I sent out things. It was just, but my, I never got a nasty review about it. I just thought that was hilarious. I had a few people that would leave reviews and they kind of make a little kind of humorous little inside joke type of this crack about it. Like, it was funny. I had I, I love my readers that way. They really are pretty sweet. I mean, they're not mean spirited about that. So I thought that was really nice of them not to just nail me to the wall because that was a pretty big one. So that's my big one. I you know I can think of that one. You and I are roughly the same age. Do you have a favorite productivity tool or app? No, not really. You mean like, for instance, what what are you talking about? Well, it could be like a task manager kind of thing on your computer. It could be a yellow notebook that you write notes on. It could be anything. What, what, what's your favorite thing? Well, right now, my favorite thing is my Apple Watch. That's really helpful. Oh, oh, aren't you cool? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I got, well, yeah, because it tells me to get off my butt and go walk. And so uh-huh. I try to, I'm, I'm trying to walk a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the Apple Watch for me is really helping me get up and walk and not sit in front of the computer so much. So that is one. And then it also reminds me, you know, do this or do that. A little buzzer goes off. And so that helps. But I'm also the notebook person. I I take tons of notes and write things down. I do lists and stuff. I'm a list person. I'm the same way. I have, I'm just looking at my desk now. I have three notebooks and two, oh, I don't even know what you call them, like paper journals that I use for different things. And I have like multiple apps that I try and keep track of things with. And I just, I don't know. I, I paper just seems to work best for me. I feel yeah, like an old you know, but. Yeah, I, you know, I try a lot of times to use digital things, you know, to cut down on the paper, but I always fall back on a notebook pad or my, I have a daily planner I get every year because I I don't know, I just, it's, it's sometimes easier to go through it and to manage yourself when it's on paper and you can turn the pages, but um, it might be our age, I don't know. It might be. Bobby, are you coming back to uh, 20 books in Vegas this year? I don't think so. I, I've thought about it, but I don't think so this year. Are you a conference person in general? No, not really. I, you know, one of the main reasons, because one of my reasons I may not be going, I, I probably won't, because I think they're pretty much, pretty much filled up by now. I heard they were getting some good in. I really wanted to meet some people like you, and mm-hmm. I wanted to meet like Tom Harris and the, the different ones that are in our one of the writing groups that I'm in and mm-hmm. different people. And so I was looking forward to meeting some people in person, but... I think that's a great group for their how they do it, but I'm not in I'm not in select and I'm not doing the book every month or something. So their whole are you still there? Yep, I'm here. Oh, I'm sorry that somebody was trying to call me. That's why it was speaking. So their their met their methods for how they're making it is kind of different than what I'm using. So sometimes it just doesn't work for me because we're kind of on different tracks. And you the know? good thing is that there are lots of different tracks and, and they work and for everybody. Yes. Exactly. I totally agree with that. It does not – everybody has to find what works for them. And I, I think it's great for it works for them, for the different ones. And I'm not 
poo-pooing at all. I think it's wonderful. I think the worst thing anybody can do is tell somebody, oh, no, you're not doing it right. No, you got to do what works for you. And it, it all works a little different on the different circumstances. Well, and I have used you as an example so many times of someone who publishes on a reasonable, sustainable schedule because people say, I can't do this book a month thing. I, you know, I can only do this and there's no way I could be successful with that. And I'll just point them to you and say, I mean, she's doing, she's doing great. And she's publishing a book every three months and it's, she's been doing it for four years and it's working. Yeah, it, it does work for me. And like I said, but, you know, it's, everybody has to find, but you know, I, I just want to have time in my life to do some other, th- I mean, I love writing and I love mm-hmm. my stories and everything, but I don't think at this point I have that many years to just sit here and be in front of a computer 24-7. I mean, it might work if you think you have a lot more years ahead of you, but who knows how much time we really have left. It can change in a heartbeat. Well, I appreciate you spending some of your time with us today, Bobby. It's, it's been a pleasure. Okay. Thank you, Steve. It's always nice to listen to you and listen to your – I love listening to your podcast. I'm glad you're back. Well, thank you. And what's the best place for people to find you? Where's the best place for people to find you online? Well, I have a Facebook, the Bobby Holmes and Honey and Danielle on Facebook. That's I, I, my blogging is very inconsistent. I don't do blog as much as I should. I do have bobbyholmes.com as my um, website, also robeth.com, um, which is, is my your publishing, publishing company. Publishing yes. name. Yeah, I have the two those two websites. But probably Facebook is the best place. I'm on there under Haunting Danielle and also under Bobby Holmes. Bobby, thank you again. You're very generous with your time. It was uh, great chatting with you. It was great meeting you at uh, 20 Books, and I look forward to seeing you again somewhere soon. (laughs) Thanks a lot, Stephen. Thanks, Bobby. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.